Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sheila Shoiga, and this is Ready to Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. In the penultimate episode of the year, I speak to Susie Byrne about her dad. I was the one that would have been up in the box with Roisin or Colette uh, up in the yeah. director's box and I loved being up there. Yeah. I'd, up, I'd go literally on a Friday night up the little steps and I'd sit in there and then they'd be doing rehearsals of various things and Dad would kind of say, is anybody seen Susie? Yeah. And went down the microphone, she's up here and I'd get the, the eyes up saying, now behave yourself <laughs> up there and all that. So I found that whole, the direction yeah. and absolutely fascinating. So would you have been there for the iconic role at their Roisin moments? Oh yeah. Being the daughter of one of our best-known broadcasters, this conversation gives us an insight into the man Gay Byrne was when he was at home from one of the people who knew him best. She also talks about a book she's compiled called Dear Gay, Letters to the Gay Byrne Show, A Handwritten History of Ireland. Susie, it's great to meet you. Thank you, Sheila. Lovely to meet you too. Great to be here. And congratulations. This, I can only imagine having flicked through quickly and then gone back and read chunks of the book how how powerful it probably was for you to to put this all together to go back into the RT archives to discover these letters and I suppose to know the impact that your dad had on the person writing the letter the people listening and what a massive force he was, not just in broadcasting in Ireland, but in society in Ireland, particularly during the periods of his radio show. So am I right in thinking his first show was in 1973? Yeah. And yes. then it wrapped up in 1998. A lot yes. of change in those years. Huge, huge. Particularly in the 90, late 70s and 80s. The, the 80s were really fundamental um, in the change that in, in within the letters that we found. They were the years that we really focused on and, and the early 90s. But you could see 
in the archives, um, they didn't hold letters earlier than the early 1980s. So we did the 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 what we have in the late ni- 70s is the relationship building with between him and his listeners. So it was very light, very um, I wouldn't say whimsical, but it was very uh, the the audience was stay at home mums, keep them amused. They're not interested in anything. They just want a bit of music and lightheartedness during the morning. And so you can see in the archives the building of that relationship of letters starting to come in, the relationship with him and the listeners. Yeah. Just gradually building until they, you know, there's there's lots of um, pieces within the archives of, uh, there was a shopping basket segment where they would send uh, their team around, he would send the team around um, the country to various supermarkets on a weekly basis and they would take a basket of shopping and they would report on, on costs of in whether it was Dunn's or uh, I don't think Tesco Quinsworth, there was Quinsworth yeah. at the time and um, and even to see the lists that were that they that they that they had you could see you know the birds custard all, even the, the ambrosia creamed rice the little yeah. all those those little pears soap all the things that, that we were reminded of even in yeah. ads from, from, from children yeah. and that that caused huge controversy within. You could see lots of legal letters where they felt then that the the, the um, retail federation felt that the supermarkets were being given free advertising every week because the Gayburn show were going around the country checking on the same basket of, of items, All right. and the the supermarkets would get wind of it first, and they would make lower their prices. So All there right. was this was a huge okay. controversy, but it it kind of was the realisation that that the 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 power of the programme yeah. and the people were listening and the fact that that um, this simple shopping basket was causing such controversy throughout the country. And they, mm. they were um, knocked back a lot of times by RTE management and by um, the retailers, um, Retail Federation, mm. and told to go back. They, they were not a current affairs programme. They were to go back to where they were supposed to be, which was in the nice little um, niche of entertainment and lighthearted fun. So mm. and they did. They did go back for a while, but then the the program started to become more powerful, and then they branched out again, and they started to to letters started to come in. So it it kind of flowed through. So by the time the letters which are in the book came in, the relationship was there, and mm. the trust was there, and the the women were listening, and they were such a huge percentage of the population at home listening. Yeah, and let's put it into context for mm-hmm. people listening in terms of the listeners that he had because yeah. you know every few months you know with the JNLRs we we find out what shows are getting what listenership mm-hmm. but like nothing in comparison to what Gay was getting yes. back in the day. Yeah, he was getting I think the population was three and a half million and he was getting in and around 25% of listeners on a day-to-day basis so there was approximately you know, varies a little bit, but 850,000 people listening on any Phenomenal. one day, which was huge, huge, huge at the time, huge. But we've all heard the stories. I mean, mm-hmm. I know you've heard a million of them, but we have as well, where, you know, people's day was built around Absolutely. getting gay in the morning, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it was it originally it was the gay burn hour, hour until 1979. And then they re- increased it to two hours which gave him and that's why I think that you when you see all these letters and all of the conversations that went that started to emerge because within a two hour program, mm. there was time they could still have. It was still very much fun and lighthearted. It wasn't 
like they had two hours of hard hitting stories. I mean, you can see in the in the running orders within the archives how they jumped from very, very serious topics to Christmas cakes and mm. various things, even even after in some instances where there had been uh, a, an incident in Northern Ireland or something and they that was covered. But then they came back off a break and they had to move to something very light. So the two hours gave them that opportunity, which was mm. great. How did this come about for you? Uh, it came out about because uh, Dad died in November 2019 and RTE wanted to do something to um, recognise his contribution to broadcasting. And when they looked at, at what was had been done before, there wasn't all of the, the programme. There was a programme called Gabo, which he contributed to after he retired from the late late. Um, and there have been various things done. So it was when they 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 kind of figured that really nothing had ever been done on the radio programme. It had all been the late late and it had all been the all of that because that was easier as visual. Um, the radio programme, although it was recognised as huge, had never really been investigated. So when they went into the archives, Sarah Ryder um, in RTE, who was mm. a phenomenal woman, yeah, she she's a powerhouse and she very quickly said, it was, this is the letters, it's all going to be the letters. Yeah. So she did a documentary in 2020, 2020 and I helped her out with that um, uh, uh, quite significantly at the time and but even at that time when she was editing she had a, 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 a well a technically an hour long document documentary which was 52 minutes once ads and everything were taken in and she couldn't really she, as she said herself she only t- tipped the iceberg of what she knew was there yeah. so um, Michael Gill then of Gill Books uh, came out to me for a cup of coffee one day and he just said to me there's a book mm. there's a big book and um, would you do it so I, I thought about it not for very long to be honest because my youngest daughter Saoirse was starting secondary school so I was working part time at, at the time and the timing was just right. Yeah, so I just had a bit yeah, more space. I had, I had a bit more space to do it. And I just thought, why not? What's the, it, it can't be. Sarah's kind of been in there. She knows what's in there. Um, and I knew by my contribution to the, the documentary, I was fascinated by the whole thing because, again, I'm sure like yourself, the Gayburn show was massive in our lives as a child, but mm. we were also at school all the time. So the Late Late Show was, was probably more yeah. visual to yeah, us. Yeah, that's very true. Our Absolutely, family. yeah. So we didn't, we, the, 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 we knew the SIG tune and we, if we were sick at home or yeah. holidays, it was that in Harbour Hotel. They were the, the two signature tunes you kind of yeah, knew. Yeah, yeah. And so I was just fascinated by it. So I started in, I went and then I'd, I had no idea what I was getting myself involved in. It was mm. much bigger than I thought. Huge. And I suppose this is where the archive in RT is 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 really incredible. It is. It's incredible. Mm. Absolutely. And when I went in, it was at the tail end of COVID. So there was nobody in there. And okay. to get into RT archives was the most extraordinary <laughs> feat. And then eventually I got in there and um, this little wonderful man, um, Robert Carty, he was incredible. He literally knew the place inside out and backwards. He knew everything and he would take all the files out for me. I'd be given the white gloves and yeah. in I went and I spent days in there and um, it was very overwhelming because it's all handwritten letters. Mm. So you're trying to decipher sometimes decipher and then and then um, I end up with way too much information, way too much um, letter, too many letters rather. 
And so was I was calling it hard. Calling was very difficult. So Alice O'Sullivan, who worked on the Gay mm. Brand show with dad for yeah. years and years and then went on to produce an RTE. She helped me. Great. Um, I called her up and I, and I she immediately she was fabulous. And she so we sat down together because my fear a little bit was I got very overwhelmed with it and because you're so close to it too so close to it and I probably started a little bit too soon after dad died because I got okay, yeah. I found very emotional to see his handwriting and yeah. um, comments that he would have made but that would have been very much in his kind of dry sense of humour and mm. I mean yeah, I was laughing and then you go down rabbit holes where you could be hours fascinated by something and leave or to you at the end of the day with nothing really okay. to show okay, for it. Yeah. But anyway, Alice and myself kind of we, we looked at them again and again and then we said, OK, what we'll do is we'll take out anything that isn't directly somebody's story. So there's so many letters and I think this and I guess it's happening in my area and all of this and my know this and I know that. But then we were able to see, OK, well, let's just keep it to mm. this happened to me and that immediately culled so many yeah, things so we yeah. kept that within and apart from um, the Northern Ireland chapter it pretty much follows that mm. that path throughout the book I was saying to you just before we started to record mm-hmm. that you know I think any of us who have worked in broadcasting whether it's radio or telly we've all heard the gay burn stories mm-hmm. because your dad was an, an icon and you know he was he had an incredible work ethic certainly preparing and and honouring whoever he was going to talk to, whether it was an author, he would have read the book. He Absolutely. was a big believer in ha- doing all this prep. And I mm-hmm. think then the beauty of it was when you heard him talking to someone, it was effortless. It. Yes. It was a sense of I can now let it go mm-hmm. because I know it all. Yeah. Um, and he was very laid back in mm-hmm. his approach. And that's probably the beauty because he put all the work in. Yes. Oh, huge preparation. Huge. Um, I remember actually um, when Salman Rushdie uh, wrote his book, The Satanic Verses, years and years ago now, he wrote a le- he wrote a, a piece inside the book to dad and he said, thank you for being the first person who actually read the book that had interviewed him, that he wasn't. He, so he was able to jump around, you yeah. know, if, if a story he was able to, because he read all the books, because he prepared so hugely for everything that he did, he made it look effortless. Yeah. But it also meant that if somebody was going on a story and he just found that he could change direction of interviews very easily because he had he had the material and he'd read everything, yeah. which was amazing. Amazing. I, I remember hearing it when we, myself and my sister had a TV show for a year in RT, a daytime TV show. And I remember, you know, the researchers would be mm-hmm. giving us our briefs and somebody who had had experience, you know, a more senior person on the team who'd had experience of of working yeah. on, a, on a gay team was kind mm-hmm. of saying, you know, he was a stickler for research being done correctly. Yeah. Absolutely. And the information to be accurate. Mm-hmm. So everybody had to be on board. Yeah. So the team were a well-oiled machine. Massively. And you can see that actually when you go into the archives and you go into the the daily programme files, the work that went into each yeah. programme, which was not him. I mean, it was the work that he was given. The, they were an incredible team. And, you know, anyone that wrote a letter to him that was going to be read out on air, they all they every every letter was typed out fully and then the original behind it so that there was no room for a letter or a name to be read out or a place or anything that if somebody didn't want it to, to be. Mm. So you can see, I mean, and little newspaper clippings and um, 
uh, interview notes and preparation. I mean, they, they were a very hardworking team. You relied on them massively, but they were great. So many bits of the book jumped out to me, but I loved this that you have written down in the book. You said in an interview with Olivia O'Leary, dad himself said to be able to listen, a broadcaster must allow silence, mm-hmm. leave people a moment or two to get their thoughts together. Yeah. I mean, even now, and he's no longer alive, mm. I'm learning from that. Yes. Yes. As somebody who likes to talk mm. to people. Mm. And I think a lot of us fear silence. Yes. Because I suppose you're trained as well, like, you know, if you're in rage, mm-hmm. you can't have silence. Mm. But actually, the most powerful moments can come from those quiet moments. Yeah. Because people suppose their train of, train of thought is just yeah. a little bit behind or they're nervous or... There, he, he, if, and I suppose if you're if you if you know your interviewee and you're you can see that there's something coming and you're trying yeah. to relax them down. But yeah. he did that because even in later years, um, like my mother would say to you that it just um, interview interviewers interrupting drove him insane. Yeah, he would just be like, just listen. You're not listening. You're, you're not listening. listening. You're not. You're not. You, you, this is not going well. You're not. Please stop interrupting. Yeah. He'd be talking to the radio, talking to saying, <laughs> Oh my god, turn that off. They're not listening. Yeah. Or he'd have somebody who'd say, Yeah, they don't listen. They don't listen. So you know. And he's so right. Yes. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us we've become very discerning. I think as listeners because we're consuming a lot of whether it's podcasting or mm-hmm. interviews in lots of different forms. And I think a lot of us know instinctively the hosts that we gravitate towards are the ones usually that let the guests speak, you yes, know, yeah, just what he did so brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, we're talking about Gay Byrne, the broadcaster. Mm-hmm. But to you, he was dad. To me, he was dad. Yes. Yes. So yes. let's talk about the dad. The dad. You know, um, and I know because, you know, you sent me some info, which was really helpful. Mm-hmm. I was so glad you did. But you actively didn't go into broadcasting yes. because I suppose not not alone was your dad in broadcasting, but your mum was as well. Mm-hmm. So you had it on both sides. Yes. So yeah. were you like not not for me? Yes, I think um, I was quite quiet as as a, um, a a teenager and young adult, and I, which people think is hilarious now because I don't seem to ever stop talking. But the I just never they never encouraged it, and um, it never. I suppose it was par- broadcasting. I guess when we were growing up, because mom and dad were both involved in the business had no big shine about it. It wasn't like, the, I suppose there was no big, it, it wasn't about being famous, I guess. Yeah. It was very much the, the job the work. that he was doing and it was very hard. And um, I mean, we got great benefits out of it. There's no doubt, doubt about that. But uh, we didn't, it, it didn't, it wasn't all shiny and fabulous. It was hard, hard work. Mm. And it just never, it, it never, he, they never encouraged it, not discouraged it, but it just never came up. My yeah. sister would have been more inclined to do that kind of thing than me. She was very much involved in the Late Late Show in um, the minding of the guests, looking after people. She worked in there for a long time. Then she went on and did some stage management at Riverdance and various things. Whereas I was the one that would have been up in the box with Roisin or Colette uh, up in the yeah. director's box. And I loved being up there. Yeah. I'd, up, I'd go literally on a Friday night up the little steps and I'd sit in there and then they'd be doing rehearsals of various things. And dad would kind of say, is anybody seen Susie? Yeah. And down the microphone, she's up here. And I'd get the, the eyes up saying, now behave yourself <laughs> up there and all that. So I found that whole, the direction yeah. fantastic. Absolutely fascinating. So would you have been there for the iconic role at their Roisin moments? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Stop it. Yeah, we were very Brilliant. lucky, um, myself and Corona, uh, maybe because it was just the two of us. Um, but we were in and out of RTE all the time. I mean, yeah. we were, 
I mean, I remember we would just be roaming around RTE really. Um, <laughs> when I think back, and I, we weren't, we were, we were taught very much how to behave. Yeah. We, we knew when the red light was on, silence. We knew. Uh, we would off, often be standing at the side of the set or like me up in the director's box and we just knew how to, we were told how to behave. But at the same time, we um, we lived in there. I mean, we were there. We were always made very welcome. So even though people would say to you, oh, my God, your dad must have never been there. He never your childhood was, you know, he was gone all the time. But we were very lucky because we saw him on the television yeah, every yeah, Friday yeah, yeah. and we were actively encouraged. Well, I would say encouraged. We were actively welcome in RTE to the point that we knew all of the teams yeah. um, and both Late Late and the Gay Burn show and mm. even still we they all knew us growing up and everything. Sure I remember myself and my friend we found when we were very young because the security guard went absolutely mad we found Wanderley Wagon the in actual, the grounds of the actual oh Wanderley Wagon. Oh my goodness. We were so excited we ran up the steps of it and yeah. then he opened it and of course it was black inside there was no nobody <laughs> there was no <laughs> And I oh remember, no, childhood oh, shattered. Shattered. I'll never forget <laughs> it because and then the security guard obviously saw us and came running over, got really cross us and we ran. But it was a moment yeah. where we had found Wanderley Wagon yeah. and then off we went and it wasn't oh anything no. like we thought. <laughs> so anyway. Trauma. <laughs> a bit of trauma, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> so when your dad was in work mode, like when he had the suit on, like did, did you feel like there was a different persona or was he still the same dad that you knew at home, you know, sitting around the, the dinner table? Um, there was a different persona insofar as he was very focused, never stressed or like you'd never go in, like you could go into the dressing room before the late late show, put your head around the door and he would just be in there and he would just be going through the running order, going through the guests in his head. He'd, yeah. put, he'd never say get out or anything. He would you just say any, anything or he'd say just I'm just doing my my running order and you'd leave. There was never any impatience with us. Mm. So I think he. um, Yeah, he he was he was very he was slightly different, but not not um, he was always very calm about the whole thing. I mean, my mum even said that the only time she really saw him really rattled. Um, was up in Oma when he turned on okay. the Christmas lights, which yeah, I have in the book. Yeah. Um, that was the only time she ever saw him break down, and and um, not have that ability to perform as he would. Well, let's talk about that mm-hmm. part of the book now, and then um, you, because you do. There's a whole section on Northern mm-hmm. Ireland, um, and obviously that was something that you wanted to include. It was, it was very important to mm-hmm. include. Very. Um, and very difficult to know how to include it mm. because you, Northern Ireland is such a hugely um, divisive and um, complicated topic yeah. that it's, it you could never do, do it any real service in a book like this. So um, what we decided to do was myself and Alice, when we were looking at it, we decided that we would just focus on one event being Enniskillen mm. um, and we I do mention Oma as well but Enniskillen was 1987 and um, there was a huge outflow of obviously of, of, of grief and letters but the letters um, in 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 weirdly at after Oma people's letter people weren't writing as many letters in, in 98 and um, so whereas in Enniskillen 1987 they, they were and the outpouring of letters was was huge after Enniskillen. So that's why we um, decided to just keep Enniskillen as the main 
uh, atrocity in within the book mm. and to, to just demonstrate or illustrate the kinds of letters they received after and they received those kinds of letters after so many both on both sides, not just on when there was a, an IRA bombing on, on, on both sides of the of the of the fence. Um, so that was why we chose Enniskillen and with reflection on, on OMA as well. I mean, the OMA bombing and the Late Late Show that was done after OMA was a huge, huge Late Late Show and, mm. and massively had a huge effect on my dad and my mom and obviously everybody. But but I think mm. that at that point, they had done that. They had had what I what I believe now is that the late late show really covered Northern Ireland all over the troubles so many times, and, and in in its format, whereas the radio program is much more colloquial, much more local, much more about what's happening in my house and my world. Yeah. And while the the um, letters came in always after Northern Ireland or anything that happened in Northern Ireland. It, it didn't feature as hugely in the radio programme as it did on Late Late Show. So that but yes, it, it is very much still there. And um, so that was that that was a reason that we 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 have put it in there. I've put it in there the way I did just to focus on, on Enniskillen. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. What's been your favorite part of the the you know the the book process? Or do you have a particular letter that really, I suppose, landed with you, resonated with you? I think the there's a letter um, with uh, around the Anne Lovett time, which really I found to be a phenomenal letter. There's so many, but it, insofar as the, the book kind of traces the social history of, of mm. the country and I think in the context of looking back, you can hindsight is everything. But the while we all knew about the unfairness and the discrimination about against women, and in hindsight we know it all. We've we've read it all um, so many times. The letters showing how deliberately women were fe- were kept ignorant of their own bodies, of of pregnancy, of sex, of everything, and then when they got pregnant, whether it was through love or through incest or rape, of which it was many times, they were then punished 
yeah. so much further for that, which is, is extraordinary. And to see, to hear or to see you that they're writing about this mm. and 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 how ignorant they were and they're actually for their own words and how articulate and how beautifully they wrote and the risks that they took to write. They, they those letters I really, really um affected me hugely because they're kind of throughout the book. Yeah. Um and And they often say, please don't read out my name yeah. or read out my address or whatever, don't they? Yeah. And the unfairness and um but the 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 ignorant there's there's a, a a letter which is really upsetting which talks about um a girl who 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 knew nothing who had been was being interfered with she was eleven and she knew nothing she knew nothing about pregnancy she knew nothing she was the oldest of i think ten so she had never seen her mother in any Ever, ever pregnant. She had nine. There was nine children that came be, behind her. They were pretty much ignored. She didn't really associate. She she didn't know where they came from. Okay. She never saw her mum, her mother being thin or large. She, her mother was always the same kind of size. Yeah. And she never, the Virgin Mary never got fat, as she said. So there was no, she, she had no correlation between getting pregnant and a baby or anything. And yeah. she, she carried around money in her bag for two pence to get into a bathroom to to clean up after herself if she had a baby in the middle of the street and she thought she was pregnant. She hadn't even had her first period. Oh. And just the 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 sheer um silence yeah. of of not knowing anything. And she had never she, she I think for two years she was life and soul of the party and doing it but carrying around this burden of what she was going to do uh, with this baby if when she was because she was she thought she was pregnant and yet she'd never even had a period so she just had no idea God that's so sad so there's, there's lots so of those and, and it's so scary isn't it it's so scary um, and and there's lots of those kinds of letters or alcoholism there's, I mean there's there's a theme of just um, you know there's there's an unemployment alcoholism marriage silence in marriages Throughout, but at the same time, then you have to remember that this wasn't a, a, a spill all the beans program. At the same time, there was happiness and joy and yeah, fun yeah, stuff. Yeah. So the letters of the week and a lot of those things that we've in there as well, they're very funny. Yeah, sure, of mm. course they are, and there are some brilliant ones. But yeah. it is that feeling, I suppose, on the on the serious topics of the power, the shame had the shame. Yeah. And I mean, we still unfortunately mm-hmm. need to do more work on it, but. It was so dramatic, I suppose, during Absolutely. those years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what your dad seemed to be fearless in terms of topics that he wanted to tackle. And, you know, I'd say it's fair to say that he was a feminist. I think he was feminist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think he surrounded himself. He knew his audience. Yeah. He also was, um, I, th- I think, first and formal, foremost, he was a broadcaster and that's all he ever wanted to be. And so he recognised what was being listened to and what was required and mm. what people wanted to hear. So he was fearless, I think, in um, John Cadden, his producer, on the the, the day after um, Dad died, there was a late, late special to him. And in the audience, John Cadden, who was his producer at that time, mm. said that that the one word that he would say would would be that his, he would remember him as his courage, where behind the scenes, 
he was fighting. I mean, he was being hauled up in front of management day in, day out, being told, stop, you've got to stop this. And he had to keep fighting to be yeah. able to do what he was doing. And I think he, he surrounded himself. There was lots of women in his, obviously in his home and also within the team who were teaching him things about what was going on with women and, and the, un, the unfairness and his audience for women. Mm. So he knew that he um, he was actually broadcasting to his audience. So he was yeah. able to, I think he was able to ask the hard questions because he was he had the letters. He knew what was going on and people had written to him. So when the, the when they were, he was being kind of pushed back and told not to ask questions, he just went on ahead and did it because yeah. he knew that, that, that the listeners wanted it and they did. Mm. And they kept writing and more and more. So it was great. Yeah. It was great for us, for us all. If it's OK to ask and feel yes. free not to answer just with the current situation on RT and what's been happening over the past few months, what I mean, you can't answer for somebody who's no longer here. Mm-hmm. But do you think you might know what his take would be on all the carry on? Um, I think he would have, I think first of all, I think he would have been deeply, deeply upset about the whole thing. His loyalty to RTE was huge, mm. despite having and and having, um, I would say, worked in an organization like RTE for so many years and so long. He and he gave suffered, so much of himself. He did. And he suffered it. hugely on so many levels within RTE. And he knew the, the, the ins and outs and um, and he knew that the weaknesses within RTE um, and I think he would be deeply upset for the people working in RTE because yeah. I think he he would have he had huge loyalty to the teams that worked the the you know when I think back to our childhood and, and when, not even our childhood even when we were adults and the those in the um, from the reception desk on an RTE to the security guards to the cameraman to the floor managers his relationship was huge and he knew them all they were a family they were quite yeah. small at that stage. And the work that he he demanded massive, massive work from his teams. So he would have recognised that the work that went into the programmes. Yeah. And I think that in later years, he would have probably watched television more than he did when he was when he, after he retired. And so programmes like I'm going to say nationwide or programs that probably would not be box office on any day of the week, but are so important yeah. to so many people and will never. It's it's like the, the, the bus routes around the country that don't really um, earn anything, but yet without them. Yeah, it would yeah, be tragic. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think he would be kind of probably a bit angry, quite angry, but um, I think he probably would have spoke out probably quite a bit. Over, I often wondered over mm. the summer, what do you just said his piece because he wasn't one for not no. saying his piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's 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 the people within, the people that, that they're hard, that down on the ground, that um, like the makeup girls and all those people that, that provided, you know, everything for everybody. Yeah. yeah. All throughout the years, all those people that, that are always end up suffering. That's right. Being, yeah, yeah. So hard to, hard to know what he would have said, but I I think um, mm. he would have been very upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope it's okay that I sprung that yeah, on you, fine. but um, yeah, 
at the beginning of the chat, I handed you um, your dedication at the beginning and I asked, yes. would it be OK if you might read it out? Because I just thought it was gorgeous and really encapsulated everything really about about the book and how special it is. It's it's really beautiful, all the photos that are featured as well. Uh, but your dedication at the beginning is, is lovely. So if you wouldn't mind doing yes, us the honour of, of, of reading it out. Absolutely. OK. For all those who put pen to paper to write to gay, and in particular for those who had the courage to share difficult stories at a time when so many remained unspoken. Your letters and stories changed Ireland for the better. We all owe you a debt of gratitude. For Gay, the broadcaster, who gave so many the platform to speak and in doing so lifted us all higher. For Dad, whom we loved beyond measure, as children, you made us feel part of your broadcasting world, but you also protected us from the painful realities you are uncovering. For mum, his and our rock throughout it all. Without you, none of this would have been possible. Finally, for Ronan, Kean, Sive and Saoirse, you are my world. And Ronan is obviously your husband and your kids are Kean, yes. Sive and Saoirse. Um, how have you been since since your your dad passed away in uh, in 2019? Um, good. We, we were, you know, dad was 85 when he died mm. and we were very privileged um, that we had, we nursed him for three years when he was sick and he was a fabulous patient. Um, he, when I say fabulous, he was so willing for everyone to do what they could for him and so unwilling to be a cancer victim. He never wanted to have anything to do with um, whenever I'd say to him, oh, there's a a discussion on cancer in the radio and he'd just say, don't do that again. I don't want, I'm not listening to that. I'm not, I'm just going to just do what I have to do. I'm going to take the pills I'm told to take and I'm going to live my life as best I can. So he was phenomenal like that and just old school, get up and get on with it and we'll go. Um, so I think by the time that he died for the last three months, I suppose, like anybody with cancer, you look at them, and you think, you know, this is horrible. This is awful for you, for us. We'd have you forever. But his time had kind of come. So um, since then, we were phenomenally lucky because dad died in November and we gave him a beautiful send off. Uh, we had him at home. He died in our house in Hoth. Um, we were all there. We had a, f- um, a magnificent full week with him in, in yeah. Hoth. And um, we were there when he died. And it was five months later than COVID hit. And it's mm. hard to believe yeah, yeah. that he never knew what COVID was. I mean, it was just extraordinary. So, And the impact that it had on people who impact. lost loved ones during yeah. that time. And, and we they never, didn't... We, we were able to... We our life was normal. We did yeah. the normal things, and so many people weren't able to do that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we got we miss him dreadfully because he we he was such a central, obviously, part of everything that we did, and we are a small family, and we 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 were very close, and that we did uh, we always did ho- holidays together in the last few years, probably ten years. We lived in London for a long time. Himself, and mum would come over with friends. They'd come over just themselves. Um, we we just lived together a lot. So the the first year was really hard, harder, 
I think than I thought it would be, even though logically you're saying, you know, 85, so many people are have been lose people younger. You know, we, we had them we, for all the, the the right reasons. We were it was it was, mm. it was fine. But then you miss them dreadfully. Yeah. Um, and I think because of who he was, he's constantly in the news. He was for that year. He was every reeling back the years. You think, yeah, oh my God, yeah, there yeah. he is again. You hear, you hear his voice on things. So it was a bit strange that, that you kept seeing him, even though um, obviously we were used to that. But suddenly it was a bit harder. But now, I mean, he's four years dead now and um, and still we still miss him. But at the same time, you know, um, our memories are so good. We had such fabulous memories, which is um, an incredible thing to be able to say. Not everybody can. So I think yeah. you I, I think the mind is amazing. I was just saying to somebody last week because it was his anniversary last week that how like anything you 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 forget all the bad things, all the sickness, all the kind of bits where he was really not well. And you just remember the good things and the good fun and the laughs and the stories and you hear a bit of music and you, you, we all smile and we laugh. And we're always telling stories and everyone has a story about dad, which is great. We're yeah. so lucky that so yeah. many people knew him, mm. which is fantastic. And he has such an impact on so he many did. people. Yeah. Yeah. And even we see, you see people, um, um, we were, there was a, a lecture a couple of weeks ago, um, Gabriel Memorial Lecture from the Broadcasting Society and the photographer that was there, a lovely man. And he came over to me and he said, you know, in all the years, all the way down through the years, your father was always so phenomenal to photographers, always giving them time, appreciating that they needed to take a photograph, asking them, did they get what they needed every time? And he said it was and it was such a lovely thing to say, you know, this, yeah. not everybody can say that or, or people sometimes can be quite rude yeah. to people like that. So he just people always say nice things. Yeah, we're very lucky. Thank God. Yeah, sure. Any time I ever met him, like, you know, within RTE as well, you, you, it, well, also you were always kind of going, you're in the presence of Christmas, it's <laughs> You're always trying to kind of be cool, be cool. It's Gamer, it's Gamer. But he was always ex- extremely warm. And I think he probably mm. sensed people instinctively being, even though his nature wasn't to intimidate, but because of who he was, yes. he would sometimes bring about that sense mm. of, oh, it's it's Kay, yeah. you know, but he was always very warm and yes. instantly would work at putting you at ease, mm-hmm. which yeah. again reflected back to the type of person he was, that there was just a lot of, I suppose, compassion yes. and understanding. Yeah. I think he'd been in RTE since forever. So, so many people had known him all of that time and he yeah. knew faces and he knew, he knew everybody around the place. And I remember, I remember he had a... Well, technically a car space outside um, the Late Late Show office and uh, which we always presumed was his and um, he's absolutely not. I come in, I'm the first in there. I park there. If I go out at lunch, he had a cone in the back of his, in his boot <laughs> and he would put the cone on the space and then go off for lunch and come back and this obviously the cone, nobody moves the cone. That was how he, that was his parking space. Oh so my goodness, I love it. Just like everybody else. He just happened to be in first so got the space and I always went for the same space. So it looked like it was his. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. Because anyone who knows RT, like I know it's changed, but like certainly getting a parking space in there is always one of those. Gold dust. Yeah, gold dust. But um, so I know you could be asked, like, what are your favourite mm-hmm. memories? And I'm sure there are plenty of memories that come to mind. But in terms of a quality of, that your dad had or the way he made you feel, 
rather than, you know, Gay the broadcaster, but him as a dad, what what comes to mind when you think of him? Um, he he was a man that he loved being at home. He absolutely we knew when he came home in the evening. That was a sign. He loved being there. And I think people often when they when mum and dad bought their house in Hoth, which was probably about nearly sixty years ago now, it was in the middle of nowhere and there was absolute what are you doing? But actually over the years, Hoth was his sanctuary and the drive out to Hoth when there was no no mobile phones, nothing. He literally would have that silence of 30 minutes when, you know, people often say, like, how come he wasn't, was he really affected by all of the things that are in these letters and etc. But I think he decompressed coming out of Hoth, came home, went for a walk for about 40 minutes every evening and loved being there. He mm. just, he just knew, he just, he sank into the big chair and, and we were little girls or teenagers chit-chatting around the place and just that noise he loved it. Yeah. And I think one of the one of the I suppose the annual events for us and which was a huge event in our family life every year was the Christmas Eve radio programme, mm. because in order to get to take the week off after Christmas, he had to record all of the Rick Gaber and show pro- programmes between Christmas and New Year, usually had to record a late, late show or two. And so, so that he could actually take a 10 week, 10 days. So everything mm. had to be backed up. So by the time it came to Christmas Eve, the programme was on in, in um, Grafton Street, near, near, well, it moved around, but pretty much around the Bewley's area. And we would dress up and we'd be all dressed up and we would hear him on the radio and you'd hear all that lovely, lively, everyone was chatting and there was all the songs going on and the talent and everything. And so we would be driving in, listening to him on the radio and then we get in there in our little pretty dresses and our coats and we would he would finish. And we at the time we used to go around to Peter's pub oh, with yeah. the Greyburn show um, crew and they had all of Irish coffees. And then we go for family lunch and um, later years we used to go into the Westbury then. And it was just that feeling of it's it's Christmas. You switch off. Or switch off. And he himself was so relaxed. It was the only day he was ever in town, really. We never went, we would never have gone down Grafton Street. But on Christmas Eve, he wanted to walk up and down Grafton Street and we'd go down and he'd he'd want, always wanted to buy myself and Corona a gift from him. So we would go in and we'd make a little bracelet or something. And um, But people were always greeting him all the way up and down the street. And there was just that lovely atmosphere and those Gorgeous. the lovely flower sellers were always how are you gay how are you gay and this that and they'd all yeah, yeah. come over to us and it was a gorgeous memory and then we'd go home and we would uh, be in the house and we would always go to midnight mass then in the little convent down the road and that was Christmas and, and we loved Christmas Eve was this day magical day never Christmas Day was obviously always Christmas Day and it was lovely but Christmas Eve was magical in our house it was great we loved That's it gorgeous mm-hmm. Great, Susie. It's been really lovely. Thank you to speak you, to you. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a beautiful book. Thank um, you very much. Really gorgeous. So well done. It's obvious amount of work that has gone into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a stunning um, reflection of not just your dad's work but Ireland of its time. And I think it's a it's really important piece of work and a beautiful way of marking him and his legacy and. You know, four years on from his passing, it's it's a wonderful thing to have done for him too. Thank you. So well done. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's, been, it's gorgeous. It's, it's been great. It's 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 been a privilege, I think, to be honest. Yeah. Best of luck with Thank it. Thank you. It's dear gay letters to the Gay Burn Show, a handwritten history of Ireland. Thanks a million. Thank you, Sheila.
Next week will be my last episode before I take a break for Christmas and it's one not to miss. Thanks so much for listening to Ready To Be Real. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.